Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp magazines, for over 20 years, online at thepulp.net. In this Pulp Event Podcast, Matt Mooring, publisher at Altus Press, discusses Hardboiled Dicks, a look at Dime Detective Magazine. The talk was recorded on July 28, 2017, at Pulp Fest 2017 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I want to thank uh, Jim Trailer, uh, Brooke Safner, and John Locke for helping out with material for this. So, uh, 22 years, 274 issues. Um, there's a quick background. Um, two Pulp veterans, Harry Steger, uh, formerly of Dell Publications, and Harold Goldsmith of Ace Publications. Uh, pulled $10,000 to start their own pulp line, pulp, popular publications. Um, in 1930, they had uh, four magazines, which were um, Battle Aces, Detective Action Stories, Gang World, and Western Rangers. Um, unfortunately, these were uh, 20 cent cover prices and sales were, were pretty flat. Uh, so Dime Detective uh, started in uh, November 1931, um, and Steger wanted a similar detective magazine uh, to Black Mask. Uh, which would have the same uh, high-quality writers, but at half the price, hence the name Dime Detective. Um, on, public, on launch, um, author and journalist described the, this new uh, pulp as um, uh, Dime Detective magazine will go for straight-line detective stories, uh, preferably novelettes between 10 and 15,000 words in length, though it'll also have uh, short stories of around 5,000 words. Um, the stories must contain an adequate amount of action and mystery, although the action element need not be so heavily stressed as in our detective action stories. We will not accept out-and-out -out deductive stories, preferring the clues to be worked out through the process of action rather than through the process of deduction. Also, we don't care for the old-time detective story, which begins with the murder already committed and lists categorically the clues from A to Z. Rather, we prefer to have the murder mysteriously committed before the eyes of the reader. So this is a uh, interesting chart about Black Mask, which was um, obviously the uh, main competitor for Time Detective. Uh, this may be uh, blasphemy, but I'm going to argue that the point that uh, when comparing the entire runs of Black Mask and Dime Detective, that Dime Detective was the better magazine. Uh, obviously, uh, Dime Detective never had uh, Hammett writing for them. Uh, but the level of quality and variety of material was consistently better in Dime Detective. Um, so a few facts that we have to consider about uh, Black Mask. Um, Black Mask was actually canceled or nearly canceled three times that I know of um, before Popular acquired it in 1940. Um, the first time was around 1922-24, um, and again in 1926 before Joseph Shaw became its editor. And uh, in 1940, it was canceled, but Popular kept it going, uh, and they just missed a month once they purchased it. Uh, also, uh, Dime Detective outlived Black Mask uh, by over two years in the 1950s at the end of each title's run. Um, and uh, although Black Mask had been spared of cancellation by Shaw, his editorial direction had already begun to diminish Black Mask's uh, circulation by the time uh, Dime Detective was conceived. Um, Shaw's uh, formula for uh, editorial success was a bit stagnant at that point. So this is an interesting chart here. This is from the Audit Bureau of Circulations for Black Mask. And uh, I don't know if I can shoot this thing too close to it. Oh, there we go. 
you're going to have to imagine. So it's peak right here. This is um, December 1929. Does anyone know what was going on in Black Mask at that time? But, yeah. So you can see why things would be looking pretty good there. What was going on? Maltese Falcon was in there. Yeah. Around 30, July 32, where is that? Am I pretty good right here? Yeah. That's probably when uh, dime detective sales were starting to affect it. Uh, I should say that right around here, that's 125,000 copies sold. How many? 125,000 copies sold. So after that uh, July 32 area, that's about 52,000 copies sold. That's a, what's that? Monthly, Monthly yes. Uh, at 36, around here, this is when uh, Joseph Shaw was fired, um, and that was, uh, they'd gone up a bit to um, 56,000 copies sold, so, you know, it's a big drop off there. Um, and part of the problem was, uh, for them, was that Dime Detective was uh, published twice a month, uh, from mid-33 to uh, mid-35, um, in a, an attempt to compete, Black Mask lowered the price to 15 cents, but the slide was inevitable. Um, getting two issues of Dime Detective per month for the same price of the single issue was too much for them to overcome. And uh, as you can see around that mid-1935 point, that sales were at a pretty low point. Um, so anyway, when Popular bought it in 1940, uh, they placed it under their Fictioneers imprint, um, and Writer's Digest announced it, uh, that the, quote, the price will be cut from 50, uh, 20 to 15 cents. It is to be on a regular monthly basis, paying the same good rates as Dime Detective does. It's edited by the same man, Kenneth White, and manuscripts submitted to either magazine will automatically be considered for both. Um, and this wasn't entirely accurate. Um, uh, while the material was considered for both magazines, uh, the word rate for Fictioneer's titles paid significantly less than those published for the main popular publications in print. So it wasn't in the best financial interest of the authors to see print in Black Mask. Um, and although uh, it was clearly an acquisition uh, of a well-regarded pulp, um, just like Adventure a few years earlier, um, Harry Steger regarded Black Mask as the Headlining detective, tour, uh, detective title for his secondary cut rate line of pulps. So let's look at the editorial team. Um, a big uh, part of the success is obviously these guys. Um, so around 1923 uh, was uh, when the black mask style was starting to form, uh, but. Uh, at this point, this was uh, 10 years into that, and you know it was time for a, a bit of a change. Um, uh, Harry Steger, who was the, uh, as I said, the uh, original publisher, he also acted a bit as a, uh, uh, an editor on this at the time. Uh, he and editorial manager Rogers Terrell initially edited Dime Detective, um, uh, and their, their hard-boiled style uh, had an ingrown sense of obligation, according to Frederick C. Davis. Um, obviously, they pushed to action as well. Um, but longtime editor Ken White took over in 36 um, and, and steered the successful editorial approach, achieving a high level of quality. Um, and later in life, uh, have the magazine Alden Norton was probably the editor. Um, so that's uh, shots of all of them there. So the uh, initial editorial focus, um, Dime Detective had two stipulations, um, those being that they would not include serials. 
and the series character is either conceived completely by or polished up by Harry Steger and or, and or Dime Detective's editor at the time would be exclusive to Dime Detective. Um, they also allowed humor and horror and spun the hard-boiled um, style to include more quirky, offbeat characters. Um, Benny a far cry from the more formulaic detectives of the Shaw era of Buck Mask. Um, the result was a more varied magazine. Uh, Rogers Terrell was a firm believer in running stories featuring what he called emotional urgency, which was the which was expected to grab readers by the throat and not let go until the last page of the story. So the first issue of Black Mass showcased three different styles of stories. Um, obviously, the Black Mass school of tough private eyes like uh, Earl Stanley Garner's uh, Snowy Shane, which was similar to Ed Jenkins, and uh, Frederick Neville's. Uh, Jack Hardigan was uh, similar to uh, his character in Black Mass, Donahue. Um, the, other, the other style was the Detective Fiction Weekly School of more traditional detectives. Um, and I should mention that, uh, though I mentioned Black Mask quite a bit, uh, it should be noted that uh, Detective Fiction Weekly was just hitting its stride at this time, uh, so it should be looked at as just as much a competitor. Uh, Steger once mentioned that uh, I wasn't aiming at any other book in particular when I started Dime Detective. I just wanted to get good detective stories, that's all. I picked out the best authors I could find and went after those I liked. Uh, and one of the authors here, as you can see, is T.T. Uh, T. Flynn, who is best known for his detective fiction weekly uh, in terms of the story. Another one was uh, Edward Parrish Rare, uh, where also uh, Dime Det a detective fiction weekly favorite. Um, he wrote a lot of Ozarks related detective stories. Uh, and the third style was the horror mystery school of uh, melodramatic horror. Um, and these are stories with a, a touch of horror. Um, and one example of that is the J. Allen Dunn story here, as you can see on the cover there. Um, and they ran uh, horror mystery stories in every issue until uh, Popular spun them off in their own sister publication called uh, Dime Mystery uh, in October 1933, although they still kept the weird cover look up until 1935 of that horror mystery. Uh, and this may seem a bit of an odd mix, but you have to remember that Black Mask also carried westerns for variety. Um, I'm not sure if this is true, but uh, I've heard that uh, uh, reported that Black Mask, uh, or, I'm sorry, Dime Detective, uh, really launched uh, to uh, 300,000 copies sold uh, an issue uh, in quick order. Um, Dime Detective obviously primarily ran novelettes, um, an average of four or five stories filled up a typical issue. Um, and Black Mass usually uh, had six or eight. Um, Dime Detective also uh, paid uh, four cents a word, which is 25% more than Black Mask. And the prospect of penning longer stories at a significantly better rate was tempting enough for many of Black Mask's main authors to make the jump. Um, so some of them included uh, Earl Stanley Garner, who you just heard a lot about, um, Neville, Carol John Daly, Roger Torrey, uh, John K. Butler, um, and later in another wave, um, Frederick C. Davis, Norbert Davis, uh, and Raven Chandler as well. Um, in mid-1936, um, Ken White instructed his writers um, to say, uh, quote, your hero can be a private detective or a lawman of any kind, but he must be colorful and everything he does must be convincing. The author will the editor will buy no story about which he thinks even one reader will write in and say that it contains an inaccuracy. Clever cook pa uh, crook pattern stories are used in short lengths, no gangster stories. 
White edited uh, Dime Detective until 1948 and can be credited for the long-term high-quality uh, found in Dime Detective, I think. So we'll look at a couple of uh, authors here. Sorry for the crappy photo, but that's from his uh, Frederick Neville's uh, feature. Uh, sometimes they featured uh, authors in the pages of Dime Detective. Obviously, he's a, one of the main uh, black mask writers that came over. Um, some of his series characters include, as I mentioned, Cardigan. He was the uh, longest running character that was in uh, Dime Detective for 44 stories. Uh, he also had a stray Sergeant Brinkhouse story, which was um, a series character they had in detective action stories. And I'm assuming it's probably an inventory story that had been moved over once detective action stories had uh, been canceled. You heard a little bit about this fella here uh, just now. Um, he appeared 27 times in Black Mass, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Dime Detective. Um, and that story that he had in that first story, uh, first issue, uh, featured a character named Snowy Shane, who was very uh, similar to Ed Jenkins. Some of the characters he had were uh, Paul Pry, who appeared, uh, appeared five times, which we heard a, a bit about earlier. Uh, he had a character named Dane Scarl, who was a master of magic. Um, Dick Bentley, who was a freelance bodyguard. Uh, and go get him Gardner, Garver, sorry. He also had a series uh, of, uh, it's called uh, uh, Small Weston and Burke, um, which were occult detectives um, told in the first person. Kind of an interesting series. Harold John Daly was another uh, writer from Black Mask who made a move over. His first character was uh, V. Brown, who appeared in 18 stories, who was a, a, uh, a songwriter who solved crimes. Uh, kind of an interesting series that, um, also appeared in uh, hardcover because uh, some of the stories, that even though they weren't serials, they were kind of connected. He also had another series called by, uh, about a character named Clay Holt, um, who was a uh, private investigator, uh, and Marty Day, who uh, teamed up with a, a mysterious character who was a millionaire who uh, lost all of his money and uh, teamed up as a. There was a lot of those and uh, teamed up with. Uh, this mysterious uh, fellow named The Reckoner, who uh, he kind of worked as his leg man. And this is kind of interesting since this is a, uh, a series that started in uh, the uh, Black Mass knockoff uh, pulp called Black Aces, and it moved over uh, to Dime Detective. He uh, really wrapped up a lot of these uh, other characters once uh, his main character, Race Williams, made the move over to do uh, Dime Detective from Black Mask. Um, and obviously, Steger knew the, uh, the value of the character um, and uh, focused on Race Williams. Uh, he had him appear 21 times in Dime Detective. Um, also, interestingly, uh, coincided with the, at the time with a lot of the uh, horror mystery stories uh, were making the uh, move out of Dime Detective. So, again, you have to put a little faith in, uh, in the uh, selling power of Daly uh, at this time. It's interesting that uh, at this point, uh, Daly concentrated mainly on Dime Detective and Detective Fiction Weekly. T.T. Flynn was another prolific uh, writer for Dime Detective. He appeared 80 times in the magazine. Um, his, probably his most popular character was uh, Joe Maddox, who was a bookie, um, usually solving crimes at uh, racetracks. He had a uh, character named Val Easton, who was an uh, intelligence agent who uh, uh, fought creepy uh, Chinese villains with poisonous snakes. Um, 
and Izzy O'Shea was another series that ran in for a, a few installments. Frederick C. Davis, uh, he, he was another prolific uh, author. He appeared 71 times. His main character was Oki Oakley, who was a Beverly Hills private investigator. Who, uh, he specialized in weird cult stories, uh, kind of similar to Dime, uh, Dime Mystery. Um, and they all took a place in the film industry. He also had uh, Bill Brent for uh, 15 stories, who uh, spent most of his time in disguise as Lorna Lorne, a lovelorn newspaper columnist. Uh, he had uh, another character, uh, Carter Cole, who appeared seven times, who was a psychiatrist, um, had twin nurses as his aides. Uh, and a Keyhole Carey, who appeared about eight times. Uh, he had a, uh, a show over the airways where he would uh, investigate and solve crimes for the show. Um, another, uh, those were pretty early characters. Uh, he had another one in a later phase called Thackeray Hackett, who appeared nine times. John Lawrence was another longtime writer for Dime Detective. Um, the Marquis of Broadway was probably his most popular character, appeared 24 times um, from the 30s to the 50s. And he's actually one of the few authors that um, appeared in Dime Detective in all three decades. Um, later in life, is, um, uh, he started a series in Black Mask around the Broadway squad, which is the Marquis of Broadway's crew. So it's kind of an interesting crossover. He had a, another character named Sam Beckett who appeared a number of times, who was um, yeah, another interesting character. Uh, Cass Blue was yet another PI of his. Uh, he had Drago of HQ, which was a, a bit of an honest version of the Marquis of Broadway. The L Champion, I wish I had a shot of him. I've never found a photo of this guy, so you're stuck with a cover there. Um, D.L. Champion wrote 47 times for Dime Detective. Uh, his main character was Inspector Allhoff, who was one of the defective detectives. Uh, he's a cop who lost his legs during a police raid. Um, and this uh, injury uh, drove him to uh, insanity, but he was such a good cop that uh, they kept him on the force. They just shoved him in an office across the street. He also had another character, uh, Mariano Mercado, who appeared nine times, who was a hypochondriac private investigator in Mexico City. John D. McDonald, he wrote, he was one of the main authors in the later, uh, latter portion of Dime Detective, um, although he had no series characters. Cornell Woolrich, uh, he appeared 31 times, pretty prolific. No series characters, though. Oh, we like series characters. Obi Myers was another prolific writer, um, mainly for the aviation pulps for popular, but uh, he appeared 30 times in this title. Jan Dana had, uh, was in 26 times. He had an, a character named the Acne Insurance Op, and guess what? He's an uh, insurance agent. Oscar Schiskel, uh, he appeared 26 times in Dime Detective. His main character was Dr. Wellington Dime, who was a uh, New York medical examiner in private practice. Um, and his cases usually are revolved around the, the crimes of, the, of a masked, uh, masked man named the Wolf. Pretty exciting stuff. William E. Barrett, he appeared 25 times in Dime Detective. He specialized in uh, characters with double identities, um, such as the Blue Barrel. He appeared nine times. He was a newspaper columnist whose uh, alter ego um, worked at the Twin Moons Casino and ran the roulette wheels and got most of his info from there. 
Uh, he had another series uh, about Needle Mike, who was a, a bored millionaire playboy who went undercover running a tattoo parlor by the docks. Um, and most of his cases revolved around the parlor's clients. Yeah. But of course, he had to get in disguise working there, so he had a fake gold tooth um, that he put in. John K. Butler, uh, he wrote 24 stories for Dime Detective. Um, Tricky Enright appeared six times, who was a, supposedly an escaped convict and a petty thief, uh, but he was actually working undercover in the criminal underworld. Um, Rex Lonergan, who was um, based in San Francisco, um, another character was in uh, disguises. He had uh, Steve Midnight, who was a LA, LA taxi driver for the Red Owl Company. Another former millionaire. So what are you doing? You're a former millionaire. You drive cabs at midnight. Um, he was actually profiled twice. Uh, I mentioned that uh, Dime Detective profiled uh, authors. He was actually profiled twice. Peter Page, he uh, had a character named Cash Whale who appeared 17 times in the magazine. Richard Dermody had... Uh, appeared 21 times, all of them around a character named Doc Pierce, who was a con man who traveled around the East Coast scamming locals and bamboozling his victims. Um, and usually he got them signed some sort of waiver, so he, he was never legally on the hook. Um, obviously, most of these victims were deserving of his scams. Hubie Cave had um, a couple of series characters. He wrote 20 stories for Time Detective. He had um, nine stories of Peter Kane, who was an alcoholic who was booted from the police force. He was based in Boston. He had another character named Officer Coffee. G.T. Fleming Roberts, he uh, wrote 12 stories. Main one was uh, Jeffrey Wren, who appeared nine times, who was a magician detective. A lot of G.T. Fleming Roberts were in that ilk. He was a former vaudevillain, vaudevillain vaudevillian magician, um, and he operated out of a magic shop in Indianapolis. J. Paul, J. Paul Souter, who was, uh, wrote 10 stories, but all of them uh, were of a character named Horatio Humberton, who was a mortician undertaker detective. Um, but his main hobby was catching the criminals, and he's aided by his hearse driver on his cases. Raymond Chanley, you might have heard of this guy. He wrote seven stories for Dive Detective. Um, five of them were about uh, a character named John Dalmas, who were, the stories were reworked into Philip Marlowe stories later. Norbert Davis, uh, he uh, specialized in humorous, hard-boiled stories. He wrote 19 stories for the magazine, um, five of them about Max Latin, who was uh, a character who ran a, uh, owns a restaurant, and he operates his private investigation business from the back booth of it. Uh, most people think he's a con man or a crook. And he also had a uh, longer, slightly longer series uh, about Bail Bond Dodd, who was a bail bondsman, as you might expect. Um, he's usually chasing down crooks to recoup his bond. There were some great uh, titles there for some of the stories. Nice stuff. This is a bit of a cover oddity here. This is the only cover of March 15, 1934, where they featured a red version of the logo. Yellow would look so much better. Primary cover artists, William Rustwig was the, uh, the main one. He did the first 37 covers, uh, and then John Newton Howard took over, did 20. 
Walter Baumhofer took over the duties. Uh, he did 21 consecutive covers. Uh, Tom Lovell mixed in a little bit there, and then Baumhofer came back and did a, a handful more. Uh, later, later artists, uh, uh, Malvin Singer um, as well. And uh, after a while, the uh, cover credits disappeared, but they came back, um, and Raphael DeSoto started picking up uh, a lot of credits in the magazine. Um, Norman Saunders, you might have heard of him. Uh, he did a lot of covers. Robert Stanley, Samuel Cherry, and Albert Drake. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about the interior artists in a couple of slides. You can see some of the prices there. It didn't stay a dime very long, really. So, we got some exciting documents to show here. Um, so, by the 40s, the uh, objective uh, hard-boiled style of writing had completely given way to a more subjective approach in which uh, real people, unlikely participants, um, became protagonists uh, and characterization replaced the old pulp action for action's sake formula, um, showing a bit of the, the Hollywood uh, tinge to some of these stories. Um, and I think the, a lot of the Woolrich and uh, Don, John B. McDonald are uh, good examples of this. Um, the mid-40s saw a lot of turnover of authors. Uh, many of the popular authors of the first 10 years had been moved on. Um, the wartime paper, paper shortages uh, also uh, affected this. Um, so there were 274 issues of uh, Dime Detective. Um, in all, there were 298 writers who wrote for it, producing just over 1,500 stories. So, let's look at some of the popular records here. So uh, they get pretty good track of um, a lot of their stories here. Um, had a card catalog. These are pretty interesting. And you can see that uh, in many cases um, they bought the stories uh, and then changed them upon publication, the titles upon publication. So we're kind of interesting there. So here's some Frederick Davis ones. Some more exciting stuff there. Can't see who that is, but I'm sure it's awesome. UK. There you go. Yeah, it is awesome. Okay. Who's that? Max Brand. Oh, yeah. Max Brand. Yeah. He had a uh, series character, character named Dan Clovely. He used that name often. I think there were three stories in that series. There's some more here, which uh, they often moved uh, stories around other, other publications. Um, uh, than the uh, magazines they were originally published for. Um, you can see that uh, that poor soul, I can't see who that is, that second one there bounced around from a number of magazines until it finally saw print. And they were actually pretty good about keeping records of the uh, artists too. You can see Howard down there about the, uh, the covers that he did, uh, what they paid for them. So some of the uh, interior artists, or, who is that? Yeah, that's the interior artists. Um, Samuel uh, Cahan, Joseph Farron, and John Fleming Gould were um, amongst the uh, most prolific of the uh, early artists for Dime Detective. Ernest Chiriaka did some stuff. Um, those other two checks, if uh, any uh, Golden Age uh, comic book fans are around, they might recognize those. Ed Ash, I think he uh, did that Daredevil versus Hitler issue of um, whatever that was. I think he uh, did some stuff for Timely as well. And is that Carl Fufer? Is that right? All right. 
Um, I know him from drawing uh, the Submariner in the 40s. There's some uh, checks for cover artists. There's our, there's our guest of honor here. I wish you'd seen this. Oh, well. There's a check for one of her covers there. I should also mention back here, uh, I left it off, um, another comic book connection was the Eisner, uh, Eisner Iger shop did work for um, the magazine as well. And some of the uh, more popular authors writing for it, Cornell Woolrich, Daly, that John Lawrence, that's for his chapter and the fifth, for the fifth anniversary issue, they did a round robin story. Uh, and I think six authors, five authors did um, one chapter each and then they passed it along and that's this check for his installment. A couple more um, prolific artists, uh, prolific writers for Dime Detective. Here's a couple of uh, Raymond Chandler checks uh, for Dime Detective. That one at the top there, is that the one that's made out to Joe Shaw, who's his uh, editor at the, or uh, agent at the time, so that's kind of cool. One thing that's kind of interesting here is the uh, Companion magazine. So uh, 1949, uh, Popular was looking to add um, some additional titles to their, uh, their line. Um, and they had a couple of um, author-specific titles. Um, I think uh, like A. Merritt's Fantasy was one, uh, Max Brand Western. So they contacted uh, Dashiell Hammett here. I don't know if you can read it. I'll read it real quick. Um, they said, you know what? That'd be kind of cool to have a uh, Dashiell Hammett magazine. So they said, we were thinking about putting out two or three magazines in which outstanding writers' names are incorporated into the titles. Since one of our magazines under consideration is in the detective field, uh, your name quite naturally comes to mind. In brief, the setup we have in mind would be as follows. Uh, a magazine well-designed and printed and slanted directly uh, at the discriminating detective story reader, bearing some such title as Dashiell Hammett's Detective Story Magazine. Uh, we have a Western book lined up on a basis whereby we name, uh, we have uh, agreed to pay $100 per issue to the writer whose name appears on the title with a guarantee of at least $1,200. Uh, that is, if the magazine should be taken off the active list before 12 issues, we would send a check for the difference between the amount paid and $1,200. I can assure you that the general setup of the magazine would be entirely in keeping with the prestige which your name would, be, uh, would lend to the title, and we are extremely interested in getting your reaction to the general idea. Will you drop us a line to let us know your convenience? So this is made out to uh, Dashiell Hammett. I wish I knew what the answer was. Well, the magazine never appeared, so I guess we know. They must have known the, what his answer was going to be because on the same day, they sent the same letter to Raymond Chandler. <laughs> exactly the same. So actually, he wrote back twice about it. Uh, he says, uh, many thanks for your letter of April 29th, which had to be forwarded. We've lived in La Jolla since 1946. Yours is the sort of proposition that a man only gets when he can afford to kick it out of the window. For a, for a number of reasons, I won't bore you with, but I don't think it appeals to me. But Brandt and Brandt are my agents, and if you feel inclined to discuss the idea with Carl Brandt, I'm sure you know where you, you can reach him. If you see Harry Steger around, please give him my kind regards. Earl Gardner brought Mr. and Mrs. Steger to me some time ago, and, and they talk so damn much, no one else could get a word in, which is a pity because my wife and I both would have liked to talk to the Steegers. 
So they wrote back, um, Alden Norton, who I said at this time was the editor uh, of Dime Detective. Uh, of course, I see your angle. We're just not in the position to afford to pay you the price which your present rank in the crime writing field entitles you to. I spoke with Carl Brandt over the phone the other day, and he's not very keen with the ID either, so I guess we'll have to call it quits. It still seems like a good deal, however, and you can't blame a, good, a guy for trying. By a good deal, I mean that the book we have envisioned uh, will be entirely dignified in approach and of a good nature, which would serve to keep your name continually in front of the public, which isn't a bad idea. It was my thought, although I had not said uh, so in my last letter, that this sort of thing is worth a lot to any writer and that this is in part helps you with, uh, to take up the financial slack and thus help us both. However, you and Carl are the best judge of that. In any case, thanks a lot for your prompt reply. Incidentally, I showed your letter to Mr. Steger and he wishes to be remembered to you. And again, uh, Raymond Chandler wrote back to that and he says, thanks for your letter. I don't, I don't know what you and Carl Brandt said to each other, but evidently I did not make myself clear at all. Um, it is not a question of money at all. If you had offered me five times as much, you would have made it just that much harder for me to say no, but I hope I would have said it. I belong to that eccentric minority which holds that a writer cannot peddle his, cannot peddle his name or reputation without putting something into the pot. You can sell a right to any part or any part of a right to, in something you have created by your work. You can sell your services. You cannot take money for nothing. If I had any connection with the magazine, it would have been another matter. I'm not criticizing you for who think differently. I just don't agree with them, either as a matter of ethics or of policy. And I believe that, I believe and hope that my policy is correct, even though it does not always pay off. It's sometimes very difficult to draw the line, but one has to draw the line just the same. I think you know very well what I mean. So it's kind of a cool letter here to uh, kind of envision what a, um, a companion magazine to Dime Detective would, li would look like. I haven't done the, the math to figure out what, what they came out with. Maybe it was an FBI detective. I'm not sure. But, um, so then. I'm, I mean, what would have been the, uh, the detective variation of that? I'm not sure what that is. Maybe it was FBI detective or something. New detective? I'm not sure. So I think that's it. Any, that's it, yeah. It won't, it won't advance any further, so that must be it. Does anyone have any questions? I don't have any answers, though. <laughs> yes? I think I have read that Raymond Chandler, TGF uh, had a radio show, and for the rights of that, he was getting $1,000 per episode. <laughs> so, like, who needs $1,000 12 times a year when you're getting 20000 a year just having your name on the radio show? Yeah, but it's $100. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could have done that. Any other questions? All right, thank you. You've been listening to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the pulp magazines, for over 20 years. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the pulps. The Pulp Event Podcast is copyright 2017.